I'd like us to have a moment of prayer for the situation that's happening in Israel and Palestine. I'd like to take a minute here. You know, maybe you're maybe you're someone who you you see this stuff happening on the news and you're like, "Man, I know what we need to do." Others of you maybe you're newer to the faith and you read stuff in the Bible about Israel and you're you're wondering how does that have anything to do with today and what what do we do? How do we relate to that? You know, this is a, a tricky thing. When you look at something like Russia and Ukraine, if you really want to know what's happening, you probably have to look back 30, 40, 50, 60 years. If you want to know what's happening in Israel, you have to go back thousands of years because this this is an issue where people on both sides, it's it's so deeply entrenched in politics and geography and history and theology. And so just for a moment here, I want to I wanna make a brief statement that give us a chance to pray. Can we do that? In the Bible, when the world falls into sin, God's solution to the brokenness of his good world that he made is a man named Abraham. And God tells this man named Abraham that through his descendants, not only will they be blessed, but through this family, all families on earth will be blessed. That God's promises for the people of Abraham and the people of Israel in the Old Testament are about them being this light to the nations. That God calls them out of idol worship, of their sinful ways, and he calls them to be a people set apart for a holy purpose. And again, this is not just about being for Israel, but through Israel, the blessing would come to the whole world. Now, when you read through the Old Testament, you see over and over again that even the best and the brightest often get it wrong. And when you, when you close out those final pages of the Old Testament, you realize not only does the world still need rescued, but now Israel also needs rescued. That Israel, like all other nations, had gone after false gods. And so you close the Old Testament and you're like, what about the promises of God? What about the faithfulness of God? And you open up to Matthew chapter 1 and you read this genealogy. And if you're coming to the New Testament for the first time, you're like, what does any of this mean? But when you've read this Old Testament story, you see that, that a man named Abraham begot Isaac, who begot Jacob. And it goes through this whole thing, culminating in Jesus of Nazareth. And the New Testament writers tell us again and again that in Jesus Christ, God's promises to Abraham to save Israel and the world are now coming to pass. And that all families are invited to come into the family of God. That through Jesus, the true descendant of Abraham, God has blessed the whole world and redeemed all of creation from the curse of sin and invited us all into his family. So the New Testament teaches us that God has one family. In the Old Testament, it was primarily ethnic Jews, descendants of Abraham by blood. But then now, Gentiles, non-Jews, are welcomed into the family of God by grace and by faith in Jesus the Messiah. So that now, those of us Gentiles, whether you're from Africa, Asia, Europe, wherever you're from, those of us who were far away, have now been brought near by the blood of Christ 
and there is no Jew and Gentile, that God has one family, and all that matters is that we have faith in Jesus as the Messiah. According to the New Testament, that is the true Israel. That is the true family of Abraham that God is using to change the world. Paul gives an analogy of a tree in Romans 11. He says, imagine a tree that begins to grow, and this tree is ethnic Jews, ethnic Israel in the Old Testament. Now, through Jesus, all the promises have come true, and Gentiles are like branches that are grafted into this tree. Grafting is a process in gardening where you take a branch from a tree or part of a plant and you, you integrate it into an original plant so that it grows together as one. And what Paul says in Romans 11 is that Gentiles, people who have no Jewish blood at all, are now grafted in to the family of Israel, part of it by faith in Jesus as Messiah, and that unbelieving Jews who did not believe in Jesus are like branches that have been cut off, but God promises they will one day be grafted back into the tree and all Israel will be saved. Now I know this is like a whole lot. I probably should have given you a whole sermon. Josh told me a five minute statement was a bad idea. I should have listened to him. We had to go all the way back to Abraham, right? So, so to round the bend here, here's what, here's what we should believe. I think Christians, because we are part of a tree that we did not plant, should have nothing but absolute love and respect for Jewish people all over the world. The king who sits on the throne, who rules over the nations, Jesus of Nazareth, is a Jew. And so that, that means something. That, that matters for our faith. Ultimately, we know, however, that there will be no peace in the Middle East apart from Jesus of Nazareth, the Prince of Peace. That's what matters here. And so as much as we want to support Israel, as much as we want to support this nation, I think that's a really good thing. I, I empathize with that. I think there's good theological reasons. I think there's good historical reasons. For 2,000 years, the Jewish people have not had a homeland. It makes sense that in 1948, after the Holocaust, we would give them a land. It makes total sense. After the attacks of Hamas on innocent people, I get that they want to strike back, wipe out Hamas. That makes sense in my brain. However, I think it's important that we also put ourselves in the shoes of Palestinians. To think about it from their perspective here for a moment, they, that land, Palestine, Israel, has not been empty for the last 2,000 years. That there were people who lived there for generations after generations. That was their land. And now in 1948, they were told, hey, these people who lived here 2,000 years ago are moving in and you need to leave your home. That would be like somebody telling me in my house, yeah, these Native Americans are going to take your house because they had this land a few hundred years ago. That would be like, that's kind of a tough thing. Now, I say all of this to say, I think there's good reasons to support Israel, to support the Jewish people, but I think at the same time, any loss of life is a tragedy in the eyes of God. Every human being is made in God's image. Every human being in this conflict is made in the image of God, beloved by God, and is a person that Jesus died for. 
So ultimately, when we look out at, at Jews who have reasons to be angry and Palestinians who feel like they have reasons to be angry, the only real answer is Jesus. Because one side strikes another, now we're all outraged. The other side strikes back, now they're all outraged. I don't know, honestly, I don't know the solution to all of this, but I know someone who does. And so my, my challenge to you here is I want to invite all of us to pray for a couple of things that I think everybody in this room could agree on. Let us pray, first and foremost, that Jews and Muslims on all sides would come to faith in Jesus Christ. Can we pray for that? It's important to say as well, there are Christians on both sides, Messianic Jews in Israel and Palestinian Christians in Gaza. There are some Christians, even though they're minorities on both sides. So number one, let's pray for faith in Jesus as Messiah on all sides. And number two, let's pray for peace. Can we do that? So would you bow your heads with me here? Lord Jesus, right now we come to you and we ask that you would come and reveal yourself in power to every person involved in this conflict. God, for those who have lost loved ones, for those who are grieving, those who are broken, those who are angry, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would reveal yourself as Lord and as Savior and as Prince of Peace. We pray for the Holy Spirit to come and even now begin to draw the lost. God, we pray that as your word says, that the Jewish people will be grafted back in. God, we pray for a mighty harvest of salvation among the Jewish people. That those who are far away, who have rejected you as Messiah, would encounter your grace, would encounter your mercy, would encounter your love. God, I pray for Muslims who are far from you, who believe in Jesus as a prophet, but not as God. Would you reveal yourself to them, Lord Jesus? God, we pray that you would comfort the hurting, comfort the broken, and bring deep healing and restoration and peace. In Jesus' name. Today, we are going to have water baptism. Somebody say hallelujah. Come on, it's always a good day. Listen, let me say this. What better evidence do we need for the resurrection of Jesus than lives that are still being changed right here today? What better evidence do we need that the tomb is empty, that you and I are coming out of our graves? God is so good. God is so faithful. And he's moving in this church. If you don't know uh, who I am, my name is Joey and my wife's name is Kelly. And uh, we get the privilege of leading what God is doing here, and uh, we're just a, a newer church, just been around a couple of years, and so I always say if you're newer to the church, uh, don't worry, we're kind of all new to the church because we're a church plant, and so you'll fit right in. We love having you with us, and uh, we're just, just at the beginning of what God wants to do in this city. So, so today I want to talk to you a little bit about baptism and the reason that we do this. And this isn't just for those who are about to be baptized today. We have uh, four individuals going to be baptized today. And maybe more. We had a spontaneous last time, which was lots of fun. But I want to say this also to all of you who've already been baptized to remember your baptism. And there's a number of reasons for that. Baptism is 
the heart and the, the foundation of this Christian life. That you and I, we start this journey. You know, uh, in, in some places, baptism is like this thing. You have to jump through these hoops, and then if you do all the right stuff, then you can get baptized, and then you're really a Christian. But, but when you read the New Testament, you see people who are like, they get saved, and then they're baptized that moment. There was one guy, he was, uh, he was riding in a chariot, reading the Old Testament, didn't know what he was reading. This guy, Philip, appears, begins to interpret the scripture to him, gets saved, basically like this is you getting saved on your car ride. And then he's like, look, there's some water right there. What's preventing me from being baptized? The baptism, if you, if you really understand what the New Testament teaches, baptism was kind of like the sinner's prayer of the early church. That if you were going to do one thing, to show your faith in Jesus, to announce that you were going to follow him as that first step to becoming a Jesus follower. You confessed your sins, and then you got baptized in water. We see on the day of Pentecost, Peter's preaching, get saved. Here's who Jesus is. Turn from your sins. There's life in his name. And then the people are like, what do we do? And he's like, repent and be baptized. And they baptized 3,000 people on the spot. And they didn't have to say, well, hey, are you really serious about this? And you should go to this class first. It's like, hop in. We're all doing this thing. And they did. Thousands of people baptized that day, Jesus building his church. Now, the reason baptism is so profound and so powerful, and the reason it sets Christianity apart from every other belief system out there, is that baptism at its core is not you and I, offering to God all of our accomplishments, all of our resume. It's not us saying, hey, God, look at all the righteous things I've done. Should I be part of your family now? Can I be part of this thing? Look at my achievements. You know what baptism is? Baptism is an anti-achievement. Baptism is you and I celebrating not our victory, but Jesus's victory on our behalf. That's what baptism is all about. Baptism is not, hey, look at me. Baptism is when you and I raise the white flag, when we surrender, when we admit that our life is lost, that Jesus says that our lives are about to be found. That we lay ourselves down in humility and in love, offering the Lord nothing but our sin. You know what? I contributed to my salvation. I contributed the sin part. Some of you are like, you're a pastor. You should have did better than that. I know. The only thing I contributed to my salvation is the mess that Jesus had to get me out of. That's it. You know, I say all the time here, there's no such thing as a self-made Christian. No such thing as a self-made disciple. And you see, in the world today, we want to be achievement-oriented, success-driven. We want to accomplish goals. We want to work our way up the ladder. And then we bring that kind of thinking into the church. And we think, if I can follow all these things, maybe God will love me. If I can do everything right, maybe God will be proud of me. And that's not the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that there's only one kind of person in Jesus' kingdom, and it's those who are dead in the grave and raised to new life through Jesus of Nazareth. That's all there is. And so that's actually good news for sinners like me. 
It's good news for people who make messes like me because my confidence in this life is not my ability to perform to the standard. It's the victory of Jesus on my behalf. That's why our boast, our pride is not in, hey, look at me. Our boast is in the cross of Christ. Our boast is in the death and resurrection of Jesus the Messiah. That's why there's no room for pride in the church. There's no room for, hey, look at me. Hey, look at what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. The only banner of victory over any of us is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so you see, this sets Christianity apart from every other belief system in the world because we're not just following a teacher who we could hopefully measure up to. We're stepping into a victory that's freely given to us in grace. We're stepping in to the victory of Jesus on our behalf for sinners. And so two things here about baptism that I want to tell you today. Number one, baptism is about being joined to the crucified and risen Jesus. Romans chapter 6 says this, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Man, that's so good. We could go home right now. I don't need to say anything else. The death he died, he died to sin once for all so that you and I might live to God. Colossians 2, one more here. You were buried with Christ when you were baptized. How, how do you and I become in Christ, with Christ, united to Christ? In baptism, it says. And with him, you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ and he forgave all our sins. I could tell you here, this, this water that's in the tank, it's just ordinary water. It just came from a, a laundry sink in the back. There's no magic in it. In fact, if you were baptized by John the Baptizer in the Jordan River, that was some really nasty water. Some of you have been to Israel. You've seen it, right? The, the power of a moment like this is not in the ritual it's not in some special water. It's that when you and I, as sinners, as dead people, as bound people, as lost people, as we go down in the water and come up out of it again, something profound happens. Something spiritual happens. It's that you and I become united with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we become united with him. 
And the power of something like that is that it's no longer about you being a person who can figure life out. It's no longer a person who can do everything right, and hopefully if you're good enough, God will smile at you once in a while, but probably not because you're always disappointing him. That's how we feel. And the beauty of the grace of God is that when you get baptized, Jesus' story becomes your story. And this is so important. Jesus' death becomes your death. Jesus' resurrection becomes your resurrection. There was one theologian one time, someone asked him, when were you saved? And his response was, I was saved in 33 AD. I was saved 2,000 years ago. Because you see, when, when I got baptized, I entered in to the victory of Jesus. I entered in to a battle that was already won. I received a price that was already paid. And so now you and I step into the victory of Jesus that right now, from that moment you're baptized, right there in that moment, before you do anything else, before you clean up your life, before you try to get everything organized, and obviously we should strive for holiness, absolutely. But before you do any of that, the Bible says that your old life is not just, you know, set back a little bit, you know, not just trying to figure some things out. Your old life is dead. It's gone. It's as dead as Jesus was on the cross of Christ. And your new life is as sure and as strong as his resurrection. You and I, we died with him. We raised with him. And now we ascended with him. We have access to the presence of God forever, seated with Christ in heavenly places. If you've been baptized, that's the status that you enjoy as the people of God, as someone who is made in his image, as someone who's in Christ and with Christ. And so often we walk around this life defeated, backwards, broken. You know, we just, well, I just can't break this sin and it's just hard and I'm just depressed and I don't know how to get through this and how am I going to make it through tomorrow? You're seated with Christ in glory. You are seated with him in victory over the world. The battle's already been won. The price has already been paid. You're already made new. You're already seated with him, given eternal life, access to the presence of God forever. So that when Jesus was enthroned at his father's right hand, he took all of us with him. You are near to the father's heart. You are dear to him. You are loved by him. You are rescued by him right now already. Why? Because you're in Christ. And so when you get, when you get baptized... You're entering in to a 2,000-year-old story where the battle's already been won. The victory's already been accomplished. And so what's true of Jesus becomes true of you. He's righteous. Guess what? So are you now. He has access to God. Guess what? So do you now. He's victorious over sin in the grave. Guess what? So are you now. And so in baptism, we step in. We begin to participate in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Number two, baptism, in baptism, we are joined not only to Christ, but to the church. Galatians 3 says this, for those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, this is what we were just talking about, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, 
then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. There it is right there. So, so here's the thing about this, and, and I, always, I always hammer this point home. When you got Jesus, you didn't just get your private spirituality with him where you can go be a monk somewhere in the wilderness and have wild encounters with God. Although, do that once in a while. It's a good time. When you got Jesus, you got me and you got everybody else in this room. Now, I know, don't be elbowing people. Don't be looking sideways at people across the room. When you got Jesus, you entered in to this whole family of people across the ages, across the world, so that right now you are in one body with everyone who confesses Jesus as Lord. There's this line in 1 Corinthians where, where the church is divided. They're rallying around different leaders. You know what Paul says? He says, is Christ divided? Christ has one body. And if I'm now in that body and you're now part of that body, guess what? We share the same body. I know, that some, I know it's easy to be like, man, why can't I just have my own thing with Jesus? If you've ever read the New Testament, you're like, does anybody get along with anybody? If you've ever been in a community at all, you're like, does anybody get along with anybody? And you see, this is the calling, that, that if you're baptized into Christ, not only is your old life of sin gone, but all those old boundary markers of identity are now washed away as well. So that it's no longer about, well, here, see, I'm, I'm a Jewish person or I'm a Gentile. It's no longer about, you know, I'm, I'm this race or I'm this gender and this makes me different. This makes me special. It's that in Christ, there's only one boundary that matters. It's the blood of Jesus. Now, you don't, you don't stop being a man or a Gentile or whatever, right? But it's that before God, none of those things matter. That we're all part of this same body and this same family in Christ. And so for those of you who are about to be baptized, I want to say this. As you're baptized here in the next few moments, not only are you made new in Christ, but you're going to get all the people in this room as part of your family. And my challenge to all of you here who have already been baptized is this. Can we live up to that for the people who are now about to be baptized? Can we own that for the people who are about to be baptized? That we can look at them and say, you're not just somebody who shares my beliefs somebody who shares my doctrine, but now we're part of the same body of the Messiah. We're part of the same family in Christ. I told a story a few weeks ago. Francis Chan, a pastor in California, told a story about a gang member who got radically saved in his church. From a young age, from the time he was a young man, the gang was all that he knew. They were his only family. They were the only people that cared about him in the world. And when he got saved at this man's church, he gets baptized. A few weeks go by, he's there every week. After a little while, he's there less and less. And after a few months, they don't see him anymore. And so this pastor, Francis, he calls him and he says, hey, what's going on in your life? Are you struggling with things? Can I pray for you? Haven't seen you around. Is there something going on? He thought maybe he fell back into his old ways. And he said, 
No, and he said, no, pastor, I'm actually doing good. I, my faith in Jesus is as strong as ever. He said, I just, I just misunderstood what the church was about. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, when I was in the gang, that gang was my whole family. And I thought when I got baptized that the church would be my new family. I didn't realize that this was just 90 minutes on a Sunday morning. And he, and his pastor, he said, he remembered how that struck him so hard. That, that if the church is really going to be the family of the Messiah in the one body of Christ, it's not enough for us just to, to greet somebody from across the room, for somebody who sits on the other side of the room once a morning, we, uh, once on a Sunday morning on a given week, you know, we see them, we say hi, we greet them. What does it actually look like for us to be part of the same family? What does it look like for us to actually be part of the same body? That you and I can actually be the family of God, be the people who are not only one with Christ personally, but all of us together are now one with the Messiah. That's what we're called to, to lay aside the dividing markers in a world that wants to tear us apart, to turn races apart from each other, to turn men and women against each other, to turn rich and poor against each other. You see, the New Testament was this radical community. In a world that was as divided as ours, there was this community of people who were baptized into Christ and began to sit down together at the same table and serve each other in love. Men and women, masters and slaves, Jews and Gentiles who would never sit down together at a table, they began to lay aside their rights, their privileges, their status, and they began to call each other brother and sister and began to eat at the same table. And the world looked at this community that was like baffling. It was this strange concept, these weird Christians that, that love each other. It transformed the world. And so today I want to have the, uh, the worship team come on back up. And, and for those of you who are being baptized, you can get ready. Today, we get the opportunity to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus as he makes people new. We get the opportunity to celebrate the victory of God over our sin. And I want to encourage you here, as you're watching this happen, for those of you who have been baptized already, and if you haven't and it's not too late to sign up, we got some extra t-shirts and towels there, we'd love to have you get baptized today. But as you're, as you're watching this, I want to encourage you to pray for the people who are being baptized and to remember your own baptism, to remember that moment when Jesus called your name, to remember that moment when Jesus brought you out of death and into new life. What is that moment for you? Some of you that happened when you were little kids. Some of you that happened when you were an adult and you made a decision to follow Jesus. Today, I want to encourage you, wherever you're at, whatever, whatever your story is, to remember the unbelievable faithfulness of God in your life. To remember the radical and extraordinary grace of God. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the invitation of baptism, it's not an invitation to try harder or to make some new promises, to start a new chapter. 
The invitation of baptism is nothing less than an invitation to die and rise again.